Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird get the young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I thought I saw one. actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock, you know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. Coffee Company, Sasquatch Coffee. Have you tried it Yeti or lately? Um, As of yesterday, the uh, Peculiarium in Portland, Oregon is now carrying Sasquatch Coffee. So if you're in the Portland area, you can swing by. Right now they're just carrying the little sample ones. So um, get in there and get some so they'll order the bigger packets. Um, I guaranteed Linda in there that that they'll they'll fly off the shelf. So um, help me out. Um, with me today, as always, is my good friend uh, and fellow Bigfoot researcher, Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? I'm doing fine and dandy, Gunner. Glad to be here again <laughs> and uh, looking forward to this show, man. Yeah, I'm, um, I've known David for uh, quite a while. He's one of the first people that I, I met in uh, uh, Bigfooting, and uh, he... Uh, Really bright guy, uh, uh, very nice person. Even Teal, I I like dealing with people that don't, you know. He he uh, seems to have uh, a real fine filter where he puts Bigfoot or find puts data through, you know. Um, in fact, I was out with him where we found a footprint one time, and and we cast it, and and it was good to see. You. The, the, that process, and when we cast it, we found that obviously it was a, a was a boot print, not a was not a bigfoot footprint. So um, it's it's yeah. just as valuable to me to to go through the process of, of how you eliminate um, evidence as it is to find 
evidence that you can't explain it. That's not easily explained away as a known animal or, and, and David to me brings that, brings that to the field. He, you know, he's a, he's a foot guy and he's also uh, very proficient at, uh, and experienced now at, at audio processing. Um, I know that with our group that uh, when we first uh, started uh, the Tillamook Forest Research Group uh, as a group in earnest, and uh, a bunch of us went to the, the Olympic Project expedition last year in March, I think it was. Uh, I don't remember the date exactly. I do remember it was freaking cold, that's for sure, because uh, <laughs> yeah. it was like 24 degrees overnight. And uh, day, I knew David was going to be there, and Larry, our, our uh, friend and colleague Audio in uh, the Tillamook Forest Group, I knew that they needed to to uh, hook up because Larry was was really into our the audio stuff that we were getting and processing and how we could you know apply science to it and um, analyze it in a in a thorough manner and vet it to make sure that it, you know what we thought we were hearing that we couldn't explain otherwise could possibly be uh, attributed to Sasquatch. Because we've had some, we get we have a lot of audio because we go when we go out, you know, we're putting out five or six, seven recorders at a time that record all night, and Larry has taken upon himself. I know that you go through audio quite a bit, Shane, but Larry lives oh, yeah. and breathes and eats and sleeps audio. <laughs> so, I, yeah, um, and and has gotten really good, and he he and the, uh, David have have spent a lot of time sharing audio and, and you know, I know that, that David has, has helped Larry uh, learn a lot about going through the process, looking at spectrographs and not so looking at audio and being able to process it much faster than sitting there and listening to hours and hours of audio. You can actually watch it on the spectrograph and look for anomalies and stuff. So, um, and I understand that you, you know, you were up at the OP recently and, and was there anything interesting that happened when you were up there? Yeah, actually, it was a very, very uh, productive trip, um, very productive trip. Uh, may have had, uh, one of our, our uh, members uh, may have had a, uh, a sighting, uh, and they did indeed find tracks and measured those tracks, the distance and everything. You know, and it's it's, uh, it's a maybe because of the distance. Um, you know, James Millian was the, the uh, member um, who, who uh, you know, saw something. He chased it. And this thing took off, and they did indeed. Uh, David and him went back and found tracks, uh, measured the stride length. I think it measured about 50 inches, and uh, that compelled me to spend a night in that area. And I did get some very interesting audio um, that I, I found personally compelling, or, or at least very interesting, and uh, just adds to our, our, our database and um, corroborates all other sounds in different areas so it's just it was a very productive trip i also found a, a good track myself a good impression and uh just a very very productive trip and uh was glad to uh to uh be a part of that particular trip and get to um possibly get some you know some more uh, evidence or at least uh, some more uh, stuff that we can look at and uh, take apart uh, and add to our our database, so it, w- it was very productive and fun. So you say, I mean, James saw something. I mean, he didn't describe it as I saw Bigfoot, or I mean, not what, at all. What did he? And 
Yeah, not not at all. Uh, he, you know, and that's why I appreciate the Olympic Project members, especially those like uh, James Million, who's an expert. You know, he's a, a, a lifelong hunter, tracker, survivalist, uh, and very sound-minded. Um, no, he said he, he never threw out the possibility it could have been a bear. It was just the fact, uh, it was just odd because of some of its behavior. And, uh, and of course, the, the tracks um, and uh, just everything else that went along with that, that particular sighting. You know, he did actually manage to get a few pics on his camera phone as he's running. And, of course, it's your, of course it's your classic uh, dark figure, blah, whatever, and, and um, you know, so it, there wasn't much to take from the pictures. You could see something. It looks like it's standing straight up, uh, but it's from a distance. And um, he ended up chasing this thing, and he screamed at it once, and it took off. And uh, <laughs> though it did stop a few times, uh, the sole owl was very high and uh, very brushy area, so it was it was hard. He couldn't keep up with it. And uh, but the 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 follow up with the tracks and stuff and the stride length going uphill, you know, that's just it's just very interesting overall. But uh, no, James will never say it's a Sasquatch, even though he's had two possible um, encounters. That thing would have to be a foot away from him, and uh, for him to say that was a Sasquatch or or what we call a Sasquatch, and um, that's the way it should be because it's it wasn't clear, so it was very interesting, um, and that's like I said why I felt compelled to go spend a night out, um, out in the uh, the woods. Uh, Tanya Barba spent a night out there with me, and. Uh, um, it was really quiet. We didn't hear a whole lot of anything. It was really quiet, very, very uh, lack of life. But uh, mm-hmm. listen back to our audio, um, I get the well. There was definitely something around. Uh, I won't say a Sasquatch per se, but uh, the audio uh, we recorded was was interesting, and uh, we are still going through all that audio and and uh, taking the uh, good stuff out of it. So, well, that's that's part of the process. I mean, you. I don't know that you know the layman would understand that going out and and uh, how much time it takes to go through and process audio. I mean, it's you know a video is one thing to get you're dealing with one piece of of evidence that is a single moment in time as opposed to eight, ten hours times you know five, six, seven. I mean, we're, there's times we've got. 60 or 70, 80 hours worth of audio that we've collected when we've been out. And uh, somebody has, has to go through it, and Larry does a lot of that. He's, he says, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, yeah, he uh, spends hours and hours, and he does it, you know, uh, in, a, in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, a time, you know, we'll have an event. He's got it done before we ever go out again in most cases. Right. But, uh so yeah. you guys got some pretty good audio, it sounds like. Um, yeah. It's, well, and it's, uh, we've learned, you know, I've learned so much from David, it's not even funny. And I know Larry has, too. And and audio is just, it's one of those things that it, it, it's very exciting because a lot of times you can't see, you know, if you're out late at night or early morning, you can't see things, but you can hear things. And to look at that, you know, people think, oh, well, you heard it, you got to record a big deal. Well, if you look at it on a spectrograph and actually look at the signature, um, you are looking at something. And that's why um, David uh, is is such a key part of the Alignment Project. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody that I've learned so much from as well as Larry. And, uh, you know, it's about collaboration and corroboration. And that's what we're doing here. 
and it's just exciting times. A lot of new uh, technology being brought into the uh, into this field, and uh, just exciting. And a lot of the the stuff that David does is not you know it's not as glamorous as like the the paparazzi <laughs> shot of you know going through off copious amounts of audio and finding um, anomalies and you know but it it's really cool stuff if you I mean there's we've heard, you know we have pre- had recordings some of which were lost that of some really interesting uh, stuff I still yes. you know go back to the 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 recording that we had of where you had woken up in camp and heard what sounded like wood knocks and then something closer to camp, a rock ding and something. And then when we listened to the, the auto audio, we heard what sounded like to me. And my, my first thought was that that is very primate sounding, you know, gorilla sounding. Of course, yeah. it's a, that, that recording was subsequently lost. And uh, after that, we did in, come up with something called the gunner protocol, which, I'm still a little offended that that's what it's called, but it's aptly named because of the the, uh, the incident regarding losing that audio. So, yeah, um, it's a living Live and, and learn. learning experience, yeah. right? So, um, with uh, without further ado, I think I'd like to. I'm ready to. Uh, are we ready to pepper uh, David with questions? Brain. All right, let's bring him on. Mr. David Ellis. That would be me. Are you with us? Hey. <laughs> nice picture Parker. you sent over. Pardon me? I said nice picture you sent over. Oh. <laughs> well, I just make sure that everybody knew I didn't take myself as seriously as a lot of people do in this biz. <laughs> uh, it, just, it showed to me that, that you've been around as long as Bigfoot's probably been around. Well, that's true. That picture was actually <laughs> taken in 1958, and which is kind of a watershed moment in the Bigfoot world, as you recall. The, that kind of is the moment in Northern California when the Bigfoot phenomenon sort of grew legs. And that's, I mean, yeah, the term Bigfoot came out of the whole Jerry Crew. Yeah, uh, yeah, stuff going on in California. Still, so yeah. So I was six Before years that, old when that happened, and that's that's what I looked like in 1958. And you don't look much different now. I mean, really, you've <laughs> aged well. So. <laughs> Far less hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're born with not very much hair, and we, you know, a lot of us go out with about the same amount of hair. So. <laughs> so yeah, that was. What initially got you into your piqued your interest in was it back in nineteen does that picture uh, were you interested in Bigfoot at that time or did that come much later? Well actually I do kind of recall a conversation. We were living in Montesano, Washington at the time in nineteen fifty eight. And I do recall a conversation with my dad and some friends out on the street and uh I, the conversation was uh, revolving around the 1957 Chevy and how uh, they had messed up on the 1958 version or the 1958 model. It had uh, just come out. I think it was in the in the fall of 58. And somehow, I don't know why this stuck, but it did. That uh, the conversation got around to big footprints 
found in Northern California. So I, I guess looking back from it at this standpoint, um, it's kind of always been in my psyche. And then um, sometime around that period, uh, be, be between seven, eight years old, I remember my grandfather telling a story. They had uh, a farm out near Battleground, Washington, 80 acres, and he was mowing uh, hay in a field, and he saw what he claimed was a five-foot-tall monkey run through the hay field, jump the fence, and into the woods. So that made uh, the walk to the mailbox, which was about a quarter of a mile long, and every once in a while, my grandmother would ask me to go get the mail. That made for a very long walk, knowing that there were monkeys in the woods. And then well, about... That could, uh, could about, possibly be a Bigfoot. Aren't they all 10 feet tall? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It couldn't have been yeah. a Bigfoot. It was a monkey. What am I thinking? My grandfather <laughs> stuck to something that it was a uh, monkey that escaped from a circus but he never could identify what circus that was. <laughs> so about, oh, I'd say maybe uh, three or four more years later, um, I had my own experience not five miles from my grandfather's farm where we were living at the time. And that involved a um, something uh, breaking limbs and brush and um, then letting loose with a, uh, a 10 or 12 second scream that uh, I couldn't identify. I never heard anything like that. N nothing on the farm sounded like that. I'd heard a lion roar at the zoo and an elephant trumpet at the zoo. And uh, I told my parents uh, after the experience that it sounded like a combination of both at the same time, and it was deafening. And I couldn't believe the length. Like I said, it was at least 10 to 12 seconds long. So that kind of put some interest in my mind. And I guess what uh, I really owe it to is the librarian at the time. Um, we were given an opportunity to uh, talk about things that happened to us over the weekend when we went to library class so the librarian would know what our interests were. And I shared that story, and after class, she pulled me aside and asked me, what do you think it was you heard? And I said, I don't know. She said, I think I have a book for you. And at the time, that was 1963, so it was two years after the book was published, which was Ivan Sanderson's um, uh, Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life. And she uh, had the foresight to turn me on to that book. She said, it's an adult book, but I think you could handle it. I was in the sixth grade at the time. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. So somehow she uh, got from my description that I may have had an encounter. Now, how she knew in, back in 1963, that's another question. <laughs> well, that's very interesting. I mean, it's... Uh, it's always I always like to hear people's how, what door they came in through to to Bigfooting, you know that uh, I was the, oh. through the door of in search of and and the the TV programs that that talked about Bigfoot when I was a kid. So right, um, so and the John Green books and 
Yeah, I knew immediately in 1968 when Argosy Magazine came out and it was uh, written by Ivan Sanderson. Well, I knew who he was already uh, because I had read his book. So he was uh, the right guy to to introduce us to the Patterson-Gimlin story for sure. That that came a little bit even later than that. What so, so when you when did you first hear about the the Patterson Gimlin um, footage and that story? Actually, um, I bought the magazine. I have the original um, February issue, 1968, um, and oh. I can't recall if I had heard about the incident. Um, prior to the publishing of the magazine or not. Sorry, it's uh, getting old. I can't remember everything. Something spurred my interest in, in knowing that the magazine was available, and I went out specifically to buy that issue. Very cool. So we've got a few clips here that uh, that you sent over the – I mean, how, so you you got online, you, you eventually um, got chatting to people about Bigfoot, you you became a, uh, a researcher with the, the BFRO. I know you and I um, uh, went out one time up by Aberdeen and, and uh, did an investigation. Well, I remember and, our first meeting, which was actually on a expedition in Tillamook, Okay, right, right. Do you remember yep. going out with a couple of other investigators and uh, what happened on that landing, uh, that logging show landing? Wait a minute. The logging show landing? No. Refresh my memory. Uh, I'm getting old. We were out there with um, uh, <laughs> a certain infamous person who was screaming their lungs off, <laughs> <laughs> trying to induce response. <laughs> And um, something responded all right. It sounded like they threw an elk off a cliff, and it just came crashing down through the brush. Um, and uh, <laughs> then uh, I vaguely remember hearing some wood knocks after that. And then um, somebody was saying, uh, everybody in the truck, everybody in the truck. And we jumped in the truck and went uh, to the other side of the ridge. And um, I, I, I remember now. Okay, again with the screaming, <laughs> screaming, 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 and no response this time. And then uh, he took us and showed us an elk kill, which was pretty, pretty weird. Um, and then as we were walking back to our truck, um, we heard three roars come from one ridge unsolicited and three roars come from another ridge unsolicited. And that was the moment I said, I am going to learn how to record. Because <laughs> one so of the guys had a, um, a, a audio video recorder, but uh, it didn't pick up the screams. And that was, that, that was uh, just too bad. Yeah, there was one, one um, gentleman that did record um, caught one of the vocalizations and that was a big yeah. deal, I remember. Yeah. But if we would have recorded that, it would have outshined oh, yeah. that. Thing. There was there was yeah. no question that these vocalizations were none. <laughs> so, 
So yes, and um, and that you know that that was initially uh, a lot of the uh, way that bigfooting was being done. You going out and you banged on trees and you you screamed and and I mean you do. It, it's interesting because there is responses that happen, you know, using that method. So, and it was uh, um, my desire and intent getting into this that I was hoping to collect evidence, not stories. Um, right. Collecting stories is fun, and it, it's great for campfire fodder. But I'm into this to uh, possibly collect evidence and vet evidence. Not everything, like you had, uh, alluded to before. And evidence collection turns out to be what you think it is. And that's a learning moment as well. You you just have to make sure that your confirmation bias of what you're really hoping it is doesn't turn into, see, I collected something. It really, everything is always uh, there for further scrutiny, further vetting. Um, it just becomes degrees of suspicion for me anyway. And, and one of the things that I respect about the way you approach evidence collection and processing is that it's it goes through a and we I call it Bigfoot last um, uh, the way that you analyze stuff that it you know you 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 measure it against known what we know like known animal right. sounds and and you use the, the, spectrographs to. Yeah, the actual methodology is to find something that fits this sound that is known. And uh, so the um, pursuit is always uh, whatever you record has a known answer or a, a known vocalizer. And once you discover what that known vocalizer, now you eliminate that suspicious sound. I have a lot of suspicious sounds that I haven't been able to vet yet, but that doesn't mean that what I've collected is Bigfoot. And that's one of the, the challenges with, because we have, nobody has a uh, recorded a Bigfoot visually screaming or talking or, you know, at least yeah. I'm not aware of a lot of those kind of reports. No, I'm aware so, of stories People have witnessed uh, wood knocking. I've, uh, I'm aware of stories where people have witnessed them actually screaming, but we don't have anything obviously recorded showing that where we have an audio-visual record of the event. Right. And those co corroborating pieces would be great to see a Bigfoot recorded video. And so basically a lot of the audio is open if I just hear something in the woods without ever processing it, you know, through the way that you do, um, you know, it's just open. It's like you said, it's just another interesting story. Um, sure. That, hey, there I heard something weird scream in the woods. Now, there there are some people that have taken this a little bit further. Um, I believe John Andrews, um, Paul Graves, Stan Courtney, and some of uh, other audiophile uh, folks have had um, other authorities look at their their uh, rec recordings and have come back saying that it doesn't match anything that we know currently. So we do have some sort of a a uh, gold standard, if you will, on some mm -hmm. of the longer vocalizations. 
Um, so those pique my interest. They're yeah, they're still suspicious, but they're high on the degree of suspicion. I may be in you know in the eighty-five to ninety percentile, thinking that it's what I think it is. So Shane, did, did you want to play some of these audios? And let's let's uh, well have. Yeah, I definitely do want to play some of those sounds, but uh, um, uh-huh. some of these recordings. I, I um, wanted to talk to David about some of the more start out with some of the more um, interesting um, recordings out there, especially those that you yourself, David, have taken and the Lint Project has been involved with. Uh, what are some of the m- more interesting recordings um, out there, David, in your opinion, and, and ones that you have looked at visually? Um, you know, I've been privy to a few uh, recordings that are um, may not be mainstream uh, information. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's one that um, that that is really odd. It sounds like maybe uh, a, a juvenile in puberty where their voice breaks as they make a call. Uh, they start out with a real strong call, but at, towards the end it breaks into a, a, a different tone. Um, that that is a piques my interest quite a bit because it's been recorded in numerous places around the country. Um, there's also one that I've been following um, with a gentleman that goes by the handle Monongahela, and yeah. it is a horn type sound. Um, and I don't know if it's mimicking a siren or if it's mimicking an air horn type type thing, but uh, that's been recorded at numerous places around the country, and it definitely has an organic nature to it. It's not a mechanical sound. So, and those are things that you can vet um, through the spectrographic analysis, which is difficult to talk about, um, because it's a visual cue where I point this uh, specific nature to the sound print out and you go, okay, that makes sense. And then I'll point something else out on a known sound and you can see that there's various differences. Those, that's why I like spectrographic analysis is it makes the ability to come to a consensus a little bit easier than just listening to a sound. Um, you know, the, the folks that can listen to a sound and say, I know what that is, mm, maybe not. Um, I've been proven wrong myself numerous times, uh, and that's what I like about this process is that I'm still learning. Exactly. Um, now, a lot of so, these recordings, you know, David, you have quite the library of of, of sounds uh, recorded, you know, with, with audio and whatnot. Uh, and one of those, uh, or a line of these recorded audio involve uh, uh, drumming. You want to speak a little bit about the, the, the drumming? Yes. Yeah, there is a plethora of percussive sounds in our natural environment, and it is... Um, I I stop and pause at some of these because they just don't sound um they they sound like there's an intelligence behind them. And I know that that's an inference and that's not that's a no-no, but it certainly seems so in some of these uh, cases. Um wood knocking 
we, we all know the history of that. Most people in Bigfooting are familiar with that type of, um, of a sound. It can be produced by various methods, and that's what I'm also seeing in um, the, the visual analysis. I think some of the sounds we hear are guttural and mouth pops and clicks and taps and I think um, both of you guys have seen my hand clap mouth pop scenario. Yeah, yeah. Where I produce a very loud sound um, similar to a wood knock. Well, if you translate that to the size of the hand of a large uh, bipedal primate and what sound they could produce with their cavity, I'm sure it could sound very much like a huge wood knock. Yeah, very true. Uh, it's fascinating because, you know, so many people, you know, claim that it, you know, we we just call it a wood knock or whatnot, but it could be much more than that. And it makes a lot of sense because, as we talked about before, David, um, for something to carry around uh, a a log or a limb and hit the right tree to make some of these sounds instantaneously, you know, in response to, say, someone doing the same, uh, uh, a researcher doing the same thing or whatnot, it's almost, it just doesn't make sense. One of my uh, witnesses was privy to a scenario where one one of these uh, something or others that was producing a wood knocking sound was on the run, and it was making the same identical sound in every location that it that it happened. Well, like you said, you can't have a stick striking on a tree um, make the same identical sound as you run, you know. 300 feet through the forest. Uh, you're not going to find a, the right tree. You're not going to find the you know the right timber to make that sound. So, ergo, what is the other possibility? Yeah, and, and very true. And it, it makes a lot of sense that uh, it'd be more of the something physical rather than external. Uh, you know, a limb against a tree or a rock. Uh, yeah. It makes sense to me that Sasquatch may be able to. Uh, make these sounds physically, uh, whether it's a mouth pop or a hand clap or whatnot. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense, uh, especially on the run in such sure. close proximity to uh, what's going on. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, now, uh, you, you go out in the woods and you, you I mean, most of the, the stuff that's on the ground that you pick up, you know, to and hit it against a tree, I would it doesn't make that kind of sound. And if the stuff that I pick up in the woods and hit against a tree breaks. I mean, explodes when I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not eight <laughs> feet tall and, and 800 pounds. And you imagine a Sasquatch hitting a, a a branch that they pick up off the ground, unless of course they break them off the trees live, I guess. But I hadn't thought about that possibility, but, but uh, I mean, I would think that for the most part, those sounds are probably like you say, it, I think we, we've attributed them and call them. It's one of those cases where we named it something that, that we are familiar with or we our best explanation but and then all sounds that sound like that are classified as tree knocks. And uh, sure. Like, the yeah. good news is that I'm cataloging a lot of this stuff and uh mm-hmm. eventually we'll be, get to a point where uh we'll we can um corroborate other sounds that other people are recording to um whatever it is that I've got in my library. Um, and uh, I've got sounds of all kinds of timber. Um, in other words, 
some of them have kind of a musical quality to them, like a clave. You familiar with that? Yes. Yeah, a musical instrument, and uh, depending upon the size and the shape, it can produce a different tone. Well, I've had uh, two-tone uh, wood knocks that I've recorded, and um, I've learned to mimic that um, using a hand slap over my mouth and creating different pitches to the uh, to the to the popping sound. Excuse me. Well, the one thing that you that you were talking about, like you, you being this a human size, making that sound, and then extrapolate that out to an eight foot tall you know, giant with huge hands and a much larger mouth to to be able to, I mean, we can't, we couldn't yeah, no. replicate no, those I, sounds I, identically. So. I don't know if that is the, uh, the, the actual methodology. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a that can uh, click his tongue louder than any kind of a hand clap mouth pop that I can do. And if you think of the size of their tongue and their chest cavity and their head, um, and if that is a sound that they uh, have learned or and something that they can teach um, others to do, that could be just as loud as a hand clap or um, um, you know a, a, a slap over the mouth with your hand. So the the, the methodology, I, I can't that I know for sure is just that I've tried different sounds or different ways of producing sound and um, have been successful in soliciting responses. Yeah, truly, <clears throat> truly fascinating stuff. Uh, David, uh, I was going to play a few of the, the, uh, the uh, drumming sounds that have been recorded that uh, you have shared with me um, and uh, just for the audience you know, uh, pl- view or listening pleasure. And of course these are just snippets and many of these are looped. So don't think that it, uh, you know, the, these drumming sounds are, are, you know, happening, uh, time, time well, again. I, it's it's been, yeah, been looped, but I, I'm yeah. going to play a few of these if you don't mind. No, that's fine. I just, uh, want to just a little, add just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, like you said, they are most of my audio recordings. I loop five times. So um, you will hear the same sounds or sound repeated five times. And I found that, that it was easier for your mind to kind of the third time through to grasp what you're hearing a little bit better. So that's just kind of my personal methodology that I've um, latched onto that seems to work. Um, the uh, percussive sounds that I've recorded are from all over. Um, some of these sounds are from Eastern Washington. Um, some of them are from Grace Harbor. Some are from Mason County. Um, and some of them are up at the Olympic Project. Uh, it's just one of those sounds that I thought would be interesting to get people to understand or start listening for this sound to see if it's happening in their area that they're studying. Excellent, excellent. So I'm going to go ahead and play a few of these. Uh, I have quite the uh, quite the uh, downloaded. Uh, I ha- I've downloaded a ton of these, and uh, we'll we'll play a few. And okay. uh, of course, it's blog talk, so it may not come across um, great. But we'll see what happens here. So I'm going to play one starting now. 
There's yet another. Here's one uh, that you labeled drumming over a possible voice. and 
it starts off with some sort of a huff and then a staccato, if you will, vocalization that will sound um, like a knocking sound. And then there's a popping sound at the end that I think may be a mouth click or a mouth pop. And then um, I have recorded something similar here in western Washington. Um, so I just thought that uh, if we can find similarities in different places, that maybe we're on the right path. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go ahead and play it. I believe it's the. this is the one from East Washington. I'll okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that came through a lot better when you turned it down. I could hear the... Yeah, I I turned it down, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And then I'll I'll play the two from um, Western Washington, uh, so we have a little bit of a reference in some of the other stuff you had sent me, and uh, here's one of them here. I believe that was one you described as a, a sort of grunt, correct? That last one? Uh, yeah, there was uh, one that uh, I know that we've kind of zeroed in on that um, that vocalization when Adam Davis was up, and yeah. uh, you had recorded it at your location, and uh, I just wanted you to know that uh, I've recorded a grunt at our new study area that we are, are working in uh, Mason County. Well, the, the the thing is, we're getting these recordings in areas of uh, reported activity and, and sightings and the whole nine, and I, I do believe we're starting to get a better picture, uh, both visually, of of uh, both visually and just of of what's going on here um, with these recordings, especially looking at them visually. I know playing this on air doesn't mean a whole lot, but. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough business, but uh, if you can look at it visually, it, it really explains uh, and, and gives you a better
better picture of what you're you're dealing with, especially when you're looking at the different ranges and whatnot. Right. Yeah. The visualization is really the key. It's um, almost to the point now where I don't just listen to a, a recording. Um, if it's interesting enough, I will um, download it and uh, look at it through the sonic visualizer tool that I utilize. Um, I just, it's just, it's an incomplete study for me, just listening to a sound. I, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, but looking at this stuff visually, you can rule out a lot of things, you know, uh, a lot of people will say that this is a certain type of animal that you're listening to, or it could be this, could be that. But you can almost rule well, out a lot of stuff by visually sure. looking at it on a spectrograph. Well, there's a lot of people that have claimed that they have heard other sounds within coyote vocalizations. Well, true, there are other sounds in there, and I've got physical, um, visual evidence that other things are vocalizing uh, with coyotes that are vocalizing in a different resonance than the coyotes. So um, if you just have, or if you're just listening, you just have to rely on what you're hearing. But I'm, what I'm trying to, I guess, uh, say is that the bioacoustic science doesn't do that anymore. They don't just look at or don't just listen to a sound. They um, run it through a spectrographic tool and create a voice print so that you have a visual uh, tool to, to, to analyze sounds. If you're just relying on your ear, it's an unreliable source. Right, absolutely. So, so David, on, so in a, a particular area, something that's always interested me is the possibility of, like, you record copious amounts of, of audio. You After a while, you, you, you know, recorded... Um, uh, vocalizations that you can't uh, explain away by known animal, is, is it possible to actually identify uh, different uh, voice prints for individuals? You know We're what I'm saying? Close. Yes. Okay. I, I believe that uh, that will be the next, the, the next wave where I'm going um, because I'm working in areas where um, we should – get repeated sounds and if you get a repeated sound it should be resonating in the same hertz and creating a print for that specific individual so yes um, it, uh, that will eventually get to a point where it's beyond my capability as an amateur enthusiast but uh, I will have data available uh, via sound clips that can be analyzed by something or somebody that is more professional and has better tools. I'm just trying to get enough material together to say, I think that this is a specific individual, then take it to somebody that has the capability of identifying uh, it to that level, and um, maybe we'll have something to uh, to talk about at that point. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, direction that... Uh, we seem to, um, and and obviously, I mean, what the software that you're using is there's probably more uh, sophisticated software that yes. you know, might be out of our price range as amateur yeah. researchers. Yes, there are yeah. there are people making a living 
uh, doing audio forensics for court um, for, for trial purposes. So if they are at that level of sophistication, uh, we would be able to take it to somebody at that point in time that uh, is in that field and knows knows their work. And our, now, uh, uh, right. go ahead, Shane. Well, we had a question from chat room. Uh, very good question from Bruce Kelly. Uh, basically, wood knocking, rock clanking, etc. cetera, uh, here, seems to be almost relatively new, uh, a relatively new phenomenon. I've been following uh, the Bigfoot phenomena for about six decades now. You never heard about wood knocking 20, 30 years ago. Why do you think that is? Um, to, to be honest, I just think that people weren't paying attention to it. If uh, if the if attention wasn't drawn to it, it would just be another sound in the wood. Um, now we kind of have an idea that you should pay attention to it, so more people are noticing it. Um, I'm not rationalizing it. All I'm saying is, I'm recording it. I'm recording something that sounds like a percussive sound. I actually prefer unknown percussive sounds to, to wood knock because we don't know how it's being produced. We don't know if it is um, natural. Bruce could be right. Uh, sometimes wood falls in the forest. Sometimes uh, limbs break in the forest. So not everything can be ascribed, but if I'm hearing repetitive sounds, um, repetitive rhythms, um, I think that there there seems to be some sort of intelligence to that. I just keep collecting the data, and when it becomes overwhelming, we have to deal with it. <laughs> so true. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it. it's like, um, I, I, I'm a, don't know if you guys watched the, the new Survivor Man Bigfoot episodes, but uh, he, when uh, Les Stroud was up in in his first episode up in uh, British Columbia. He heard what sounded like a you know a tree being go, being pushed over or a tree falling over, and uh, and now that he he has an awareness you know he he's heard that sound like all, a lot of times in, in the times that he's been out in in Bigfooting or when out in the woods before he was had a, a kind of an awareness of Bigfoot and. And so even somebody that, you know, has that kind of forest experience ignores that sound and just assumes that it's uh, something that happened naturally without right. having any reference of Bigfoot reference. And I mean, Correct. you hear a scream, you hear, and I've talked to people that, that have heard weird sounds and and that didn't, it just was a weird sound to them that uh, uh, they didn't attribute it to Bigfoot because it wasn't even on their radar. So. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So. And actually, uh, I think uh, I had read uh, there was a group in California sometime in the late 50s, uh, near, near the time that uh, the uh, Bigfoot footprints were found, um, that they described some knocking sounds that, uh, and this is obviously way before Somebody claimed that they heard the first wood knock, um, you know, 20, 30 years later. So it, that, the knocking sound has been around, but 
nobody really paid any attention to it. Heck, nobody really paid any attention to Bigfoot. So, and that's the the term. It's because now we we have a label for those kind of those kind of sounds in the woods. We call right. them tree knocks, or you know, they're not. I mean, that's and and Shane and I have talked about that. Is you know that there's a, a a classification of a particular kind of sound. In fact, recently, when Shane and I were out at, with our group. Um, we we heard individual quote unquote tree knocks from two different locations um, within a, uh, the same time you know short time period, and you know that's we were got to discussing what what the true nature of the sound is because it sounded very much like you know the classic quote unquote tree knock, and that's that's also the danger of of when we label. Well, it sounded things. like. Yeah, it sounded like a baseball bat on a tree. Is what they had that right. that, that that sound and the echo followed by very, very uh, pronounced. Right. So that's and, yeah. Those, those are uh, make very strong signatures, by the way. Oh yeah. Visually. You look, yeah, visually, they they're it's like a straight line. <laughs> sure. And uh, here again, I, I I don't know what uh, made that sound, I, uh, but cataloging it and seeing, like I said, if it if it's a repeated sound in your area, something is making that sound. So what is it? You know. So it's back to degrees of suspicion. Nothing that I have ever recorded, I can 100% say was a Sasquatch or Bigfoot, but. And to some degree of certainty, I think that um, it's a very strong possibility until something can prove that it isn't. What are, I, I, when we were out with Retman Mullis, we, we were talking about the different kinds of evidence, inclusive evidence versus exclusive evidence. And a lot of what <laughs> we end up with in Bigfooting is exclusive evidence. We know that it's not a deer or an unknown animal. So it falls into right. some unknown origin, you know, and that's sure. and that's. Uh, I appreciate when because the way that you even you label things, you label them as what uh, a generic uh, sound, you know, heavy pounding. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you don't say big Bigfoot knocking on a tree. You know, that's, right. <laughs> I mean that and and that there's too much of that in Bigfooting. I think is like. It's Bigfoot, and this is exactly what it, it's doing. It's Bigfoot, you know, using bio, its bioluminescent eyes to communicate with another Bigfoot. So, right. And, David, when you're looking at, you know, a spectrograph visually, what are you yeah. looking for? Uh, are you looking for, uh, you know, the hertz, the different uh, – what, what piques your interest when you're looking at certain things? For me personally, I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking, looking for – well, I was going to say uh, real quick. Uh, I, I like a, a uh, not just a sound, but multiple sounds in when I'm looking at it, uh, so that uh, it kind of corroborates the whole scenario, possibly. You know. Right. Um, the, the, first of all, there's the the, the context of the situation. Um, I kind of know where these sounds are being recorded. I know the history of uh, what the witnesses are telling me. Uh, that they have actually seen. So I'm fairly certain that the uh, subject of interest is possibly around. 
Uh, so we, we start with the context of that, that it's possible that a Sasquatch could be making some of these suspicious sounds. So I, I you know, I go through that that methodology, and then uh, specifically, you ask me how do I identify what I'm, uh, or what is it that I'm looking for as I visually see the spectrogram roll across this, my computer screen. Well, there are certain key uh, sounds that have certain key signatures that that do have my interest that resonate in a specific hertz. Um, there's certain things that look like they're human voices, but they don't show the same signature as a human voice does. I've, I know what the, the difference is, what, what, what they look like visually. So those kind of things uh, pique my interest. And also, um, you know, I try to identify every known sound so that I have that in the library as well. At my new location, there's just a tremendous amount of uh, loon vocalizations, um, and so I'm just intrigued by their their call, and um, so I've I've got a library of all of those sounds. So if somebody hears uh, a sound and they think it might be a Bigfoot vocalization, and they don't know what a loon sounds like, I can I could send them a clip and match their clip. And it would, you know, show the identical signature. So yes, I'm looking for specific signatures as I see things scroll past my screen. And um, it's a lot easier to uh, go through dead airspace where I see no signature than to listen to dead airspace for that same period of time. I get through a 30-minute file in about five minutes if there's nothing of significance on it. Right. And it's it really cuts down your time, you know. If you have, yeah, uh, yeah that's that's the, the thing that people don't realize. They'll they'll walk around and they'll record all this stuff, but then it takes the time to sit down and analyze what you actually recorded. And if you just listen to a recording, you are going to miss stuff. Um, and that's because you can see visual cues that may be recorded at a distance that your ears just aren't quite picking up, but that doesn't mean something didn't vocalize. It was just farther away and has a very faint signature. Yeah. And, and, and we've it, learned it, that it's in, really cool stuff. Yeah, we've learned that too. And in, in going through the, when you record, you know, hundreds of hours of, of audio that, that, uh, I mean, if you just sit and listen to it, you're you're basically going through the same process of, of being there live and listening to it. You might pick up a few things that you missed that you, that you didn't hear catch, consciously catch, but but you're you're still having to interpret it the same way through your only through your ears. And so, using the spectral analysis um, allows you to have a a baseline of and, and visually look at a whole as a whole other. Uh, dimension and and includes another sense, one of our senses. We can use now sight Correct. to to look at at audio. So and it allows you to exclude. Have you ever been? You know, you you've heard a, a recording. I'm sure you've heard a recording that you may have initially thought that sounds like it could be uh, a Bigfoot, and then when you looked at it, were you able to uh, to eliminate it as 
as a Bigfoot? Oh, uh, yeah, you bet. Um, lots, yeah. lots of different, uh, different times. Absolutely. So there's yeah, a pendulum swing both ways on that. You know, we have a, a, a unique signature to our voice, and uh, I've actually um, had Bill Lee, um, who has a deep baritone-type voice, I sent him a John Andrews recording of a Bigfoot, uh, I think. Excuse me. Well, I suspect it's a Bigfoot. <laughs> but this recording is about um, 12 seconds long and uh, resonates at a specific hertz. Well, I gave it to Bill and said, can you match this? And um, he sent me his uh, recording back. And when I looked at it, uh, it was quite astounding. He has a perfect pitch ear. He was able to match the, uh, the the vocalization and three of the harmonics. But what I didn't realize was that there was only three harmonics to the suspected Sasquatch call. And a harmonic is um, is a, a level of resonance that the uh, the sound resonates in different pitches. And so um, the purported or the suspected Sasquatch call resonated in uh, four different main areas where um, Bill's recording resonated in the same four areas. He hit those on the nail, but he had about 15 or 20 upper harmonics that weren't visible on the suspected Sasquatch call and one major lower harmonic that wasn't even on this purported Sasquatch call. So if you just listen to his um, his voice, you would say that it matches, but the voice print signature shows a very different identifiable way of looking at both of those signatures and going, those are different. Those weren't made by the same individual. So that's... that's uh... So he was able to replicate part of it, but but there was part in his own, in the recording he made, there was additional signatures that weren't in the recording you sent him. So that's interesting. So um, question question in the the chat room from Bruce is like, um, have you ever uh, recorded anything that you believe to have been a two-way communication between more than one Bigfoot? Um, that would be, I, I, I believe, a yes, um, because there's different um, resonance. Uh, I, I think that I have recorded, like, um, uh, maybe an adult and a juvenile talking back and forth. Mm-hmm. So th- that would be um, visually identifiable. So, yeah, I believe that that I have. I'd have to go through tons and tons of files to see if I could find it to prove it, but I, I believe that I have. Right, yeah. Because I, mean, I always think some the, the noises that they're making in the woods aren't, aren't, aren't directed at us for the most part. I mean, let's say one were to scream at, at you. I know that Todd Neese had that experience where he thought that he was <laughs> roared at as he was peeing on a tree in the dark, so... Uh, but I mean, I think for the most part, it's my my interpretation is that they're actually 
communicating to each other. So, um, yeah, what what I um, and I'm still just kind of it, um, working on sus- possible scenarios and hypotheses, but it seems like the recordings that I'm getting there seems to be a very short period of vocalization. In other words, they don't vocalize for a long time. They don't, um, within 30 seconds, whatever it is that they need to communicate, they've done that. They they don't, anytime I hear a recording of, this is a Sasquatch and it goes on for 10 minutes, um, I'm, I'm less inclined to, to think that that is true. I could be all wet, but... What I what I'm noticing is that it seems like it's quick, short bursts of communication. And that's now. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Shane. I'm reading. I'm well, reading something in chat. You, um, you know, David had sent me um, some comparisons uh, with the uh, possible chest beating and whatnot, and I wanted to play what I had recorded recently in an area that there was a, a possible sighting uh, within, you know, the very night of the sighting, and it was something I recorded. And then I wanted to play what uh, uh, David had shared with me as far as 8-beat um, uh, comparison. So I'm going to play what I recorded, and, of course, it's just a clip, and I hope sure. it comes out all right. We'll see here. I'm going to play it now. Let me turn it down just a little bit. Play it again. I'm going to play the comparison right now. Yes. That last comparison that you played was an actual gorilla chest beat in one clip, followed by something that I recorded up near Bellingham. So um, those two sounds were alternating. The first one was the gorilla. The second one is an unknown. But it's it's a similar quick chest slap sound. Yes. Um, and I, I will play what I recorded again, and then I'll play uh, the comparison, and you can talk about it here in a okay. sec. Here. This is what I recorded, and it's here it's a stick break and a, and a thumb. Uh, uh, with this 
you know, supposed chest slapping as, as it sounds in four different areas. Yes. And yeah. so I, really, I, very cool stuff. I mean, uh, right. So that's so the first one was an actual recording of of a known animal, an ape slapping its chest. And correct. then the second one was was a in a, a suspected Sasquatch. Uh, uh, I mean, so the sound. The, the sound was recorded. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I I suspect it could be. I mean, it's a possibility. Um, but again, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, so. Right. <clears throat> yeah, but it sure sounds sure sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And then comparing the them visually. That's what makes it Correct. even more compelling, is because you can compare these known uh, the known uh, sla- uh, chest slapping to what was recorded, and visually, it it's pretty pretty interesting stuff. Right. Yeah. There's when a difference in with the uh, with the gorilla mm-hmm. chest. You can I can hear um, that it's cupping its hands, um, so there's a, a little bit more timber to the. Slap, where it sounds like it might be more of a barehanded slap in the second one. So less, you mean when you say barehanded, just flat, flat instead of cupped hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, my my uh, my my recording that I shared there, there was a lot more to that that picture. Um, you, there was things that preceded that and things that uh, followed up after the fact. And, and right. that's the scenario with a lot of recordings. Uh, so you're just getting a little, a little tidbit of what was recorded, but then um, that's yeah. what I find very interesting. The uh, visually it matches uh, what I recorded um, in Bellingham and it looks similar to the gorilla chest beat. What, what uh, the visual signature that's in what you recorded at the uh, Olympic project. So um, I I would say that, uh, you know, we're on to something and it's back to that, that drumming thing. So Mm -hmm. there seems to be a percussive nature to some of the communication forms that are out there. And um, it was just one of the things that I thought that it might be kind of fun to explore on your show and then, See if other people are noticing that in their locations. When the, exactly. So that gets we, me back. we have a we have an activity of a, of a known animal that we've rec- we know what it is that which it gives us a reference point. Then do do we know what when a gorilla is slapping its chest? What that indicates? Why are they slapping their chest? Is that a is that a sign of aggression? Um, I, to be honest with you, um, I, I I think I know, but I, I, don't, I I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but I I'm not necessarily uh, thinking that it's an aggressive posture, but a dominance posture. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I I'm not the authority on that. I'd have to I'd have to run to my Diane Fossey or Jane uh, <laughs> Goodall <laughs> and look that one up. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's we've interesting, also, though. We've also recorded what sounds like crown slapping. I mean, like it's like like something hitting the ground. 
and and that's another thing. If you go look, that that other primates do that. They thump on, they slap, they'll pound on the ground, and it's you know that's it's I, I a have, known okay. behavior, primate behavior. So, right. I I have um, clicked rocks and gotten responses, um, and just recently uh, recorded just an excellent rock click. There's no question about it. And we uh, also recently uh, recorded a rock click at the Olympic project um, about a month ago. So that's another, is there a difference in meaning between, say, maybe a mouth pop or a wood knock versus a rock knock? Yeah, good, good question. Another one we don't know the answer to, but yeah. yeah. Well, David, how how important um, is audio when it comes to Bigfoot research? I mean, in your opinion, how important is it? You know, a lot of uh, primatologists use bioacoustics, and it's something that I think uh, researchers, Bigfoot researchers, enthusiasts don't really. Um, really take the time to look at all the aspects of what they've recorded or, you know, as, pos- as, po- as possible Sasquatch recordings. I, I, For me personally, I think it's it's cutting edge. It's uh, very interesting, and there's a lot to be learned there. How important is it to you? Uh, it's it, the, the, uh, the field of audio recording as a, uh, as a method of gathering evidence. Is that where we're headed? Y- yeah, that was kind of my line of question, yes. Okay. Um, well, it, it's um, again, it's degrees um, of provability uh, beyond, I think, what the amateur recordist capabilities are. Um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to gather the evidence. It's like if you come across a footprint, should I cast it or not cast it? Well, my answer is cast it. You can argue about later whether it's human or not. Um, but cast it. And so it's the same thing in, in recording. Uh, the more recorders we have out there running, the more education or raising the bar of uh, consciousness on different sounds, what they could and couldn't be. You know, a lot of people think they hear Sasquatch out there, but they're hearing coyotes or they're hearing wolves um, or they're hearing people screaming. <laughs> so there's... Um, I think through the analysis of visual um, spectrograms, we we can identify specifics visually, which is a much easier way to gain consensus. So I do believe that audio has, going forward in the Sasquatch research, is going to become more of a viable tool as um, bioacoustics it will pave the way, and they will, uh, in the science world, show us just exactly how we need to collect their evidence and how we forensically analyze it. So eventually we'll come across a person that um, has that capability, just like, um, you know, Scott Nelson surfaced and Monongahela surfaced, both cryptolinguists um, that uh, came across our field and said, hey, I can help this out. So eventually we'll, we'll get somebody that will have a professional 
background in that and will be able to help us analyze what we've gathered. But, you know, I'm I'm just another amateur out there collecting collecting stuff. I'm hoping that someday I, I will run across that professional that will be able to analyze it and say, well, this is odd. This doesn't match anything. So, um, you know, validating my suspicion. So the direct answer is, yes, I do believe that audio will have a niche in uh, in Bigfoot research, uh, a qualified niche, because of the visual tool. Absolutely. You know, when I first got into the audio aspect of it, I, I did not realize the significance or what I was looking at uh, until I reached out to uh, you, David, and um, you kind of opened my eyes because... Every, you know, a lot of people in the, the Bigfoot world and whatnot, they're looking for this, this this perfect scream, this howl, and I realize there's so much more to it, especially when you look at it visually. And uh, Mongola, Hela is a, a, a great asset, um, someone that's taught me a bunch as well. But there's so much there. I, the audio portion of it is, is so important, I believe, and stuff that we can actually look at and, and categorize and uh, and compare to other uh, sounds recorded in other areas and get a signature, it's just, it's it's really exciting stuff. And um, I know that you have quite the library, uh, and it's just, uh, like I said, it's, it's very exciting, and I see the future moving in this direction, uh, you know, down the road here. Yeah, I do too, Shane. I do too. And well, they, we will. Uh, we're constantly getting. Um, we're constantly getting audio, uh, and it's hard to keep up with sometimes and look at it and 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 uh, get the good stuff out of it. But uh, yeah, for every, <laughs> for every recorder you have in the field, you've got to spend that time to listen to what it recorded. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't envy yeah. you guys. You're very, <laughs> very enthusiastic about your approach. I love it. One, you know, you know that Larry. You need somebody that's a little bit crazy that will sit and listen to hours and hours of of audio. Unfortunately, we have somebody that fits the bill, and that'd be Larry. He's a, you know, he's a little bit off, and uh, crazy, good. <laughs> crazy in a good way, right? I mean, you need. Yeah. I mean, he, he right. will. You know, the dedication that it takes to sit and 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 be willing to listen to go through, you know. 80 hours of, of audio and find and and thank God that we we put him and you together, David, because before that he was just listening to it, you know. And the idea that like that he can go through it in a much faster, um, more efficient, you know, process and and be able to have a baseline of stuff to to compare to because it is exclusion. You know, the, the interesting thing is that there's way more audio evidence that's, that's available than there is video evidence. There always will be because right. you know, unless you're out – because we're not – you could put a video camera out there and, and, and you know, when you put out uh, trail cams, you're, it's a needle in the haystack. They, they can if, – if they avoid them, whatever, if they, you know uh, – but it's it, that's very needle in the haystack. You can put out an audio recorder and pick up sound. They don't know that we're recording them, or they're not aware of, of uh, 
you know. So it, it's it's a it's one piece of evidence that that is available to us in in quantity, but it takes people who who are willing to to process that. I mean, it's worth it's really worthless if you just go out and record it and don't analyze it to the degree that you and Larry are doing. So I I really appreciate the. Uh, the dedication that you've put in for years and years, and and Larry as well, who want to apply uh, science science to to uh, the re- to the field of Bigfoot research. Sure. So I, I and uh, I, I I can't thank you enough for working with with us and and, oh, and having uh, sharing sharing information between uh, you know the different. Uh, people that are out there doing that kind of work, I think, make, puts us leaps and bounds ahead, ahead of just doing it by ourselves, and uh, yeah. and not not having anything to compare it to. And and uh, well, Gunner, you touched on a mm-hmm. great point, and and I mentioned this earlier, is that a lot of people think that these these Bigfoot groups, say like the Limit Project, Tillman Group, and all these other groups out there, um, and and with the many individuals out there that are experienced and have an expertise in these fields are not collaborating. Well, that's a falsehood. In fact, uh, we do work with other individuals and groups and whatnot that are have this experience or have the the uh, ex, you know the the background and the history and the, the bring science to it. We are working with those because through collaboration brings corroboration, and that's exactly one of the things the Lim Project is doing. The Tillamook uh, Forest Group is doing is is collaborating. And comparing, and it's it's a it's a fun endeavor, but it's also very scientific, and uh, we are getting results. I really truly believe we're getting results. Well, we're 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 nosing the ball down the field, um, mm-hmm. and it's a process of elimination. Again, um, everything that we, that we record falls into a suspicious category until we can eliminate it. And that is our goal, is to eliminate it. Um, you know, we're out to uh, prove that there isn't a, a large bipedal hairy primate in the Olympic National Forest. We want to fail, but um, <laughs> but right now uh, we're under the assumption that everything that we do has an answer and that we just haven't found it yet. And so we just have to keep vetting, 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 and vetting. But it's a it's a, a worthy uh, uh, project, and uh, um, I mean the, the end game is, like you say, it's to to eliminate all other possibility with with, and and we are left with interesting audio, um, and it I, I know with the like the Olympic project, we only got a couple of minutes left, so I'll be brief. But the Olympic project's goal, I, I understand it, is predictability. So audio would play a huge piece if you can capture that that evidence if it's in, in the form of audio and it and it lends to to the end goal of, of predictability because you can because you know they're they're there or you're getting these unknown audios you know in the same right. time frame year after year it, it it's way easier quote unquote easier to collect audio than it is to collect video. Or other sure. or footprints, or I mean, so it's hugely well, valuable because it's what it's something that there's a preponderance of. 
Yeah, it seems that um, there seems to be a transitory nature uh, to um, our suspects. They don't seem to stay in a a certain spot for a long time. They move around. And uh, being able to predict when they're going to be going from one location to another location would be extremely helpful. So, um, you know, all it's going to take is about 500 people and uh, (laughs) $7 or $8, and we should be able to uh, get a good handle on this. You don't ask for much. No. (laughs) And notice I said a handle. I didn't say we'd solve it. (laughs) But that, I mean, it's it's a big, it's, to the layman, the person that hasn't given a lot of thought to the Bigfoot phenomenon, you know, it's easy to dismiss it. And they haven't, you know, heard all the audio. They haven't heard the, um, it's one of, for me, uh, you know, audio is one of the most compelling um, pieces of evidence and, and most available to us. So keep keep doing the good work that you're doing, David. Um, I know Thank that, you. that I'm gonna, we're going to uh, all get together at, for uh, the Olympic Project has an expedition, public expedition coming up. Uh, go to their website yes. to check it out if you'd like to attend. Um, it's uh, www.olympicproject.com. So and uh, check that out, and maybe we'll see you up at the Olympic Project in May. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. Shane, pleasure as always. And we have come to the end of our our time together, and uh, we will be back here. Next week um, at 4 o'clock Pacific, 4 p.m. Pacific, and we'll be uh, coming to you live from Hopswatch, Guy Edwards' event, uh, and he's going to have Larry Lund as his guest, the elusive Larry Lund, um, and uh, we'll join, see you uh, after Hopsquatch next week. Gunner, Shane, thank you very yes, much. Sir. You bet. Thanks, David. Very great show. Very, I, I loved it. Great, great information. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Okay, take care. You too.